You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. A very good morning to all of you and uh, for those who may be listening online as well, a warm welcome. Uh, what a glorious morning we have to uh, get in the Lord's name. Praise be to God for 2023. We look forward in anticipation to see how God will work in Pasquaville Church this new year, isn't it? Today, uh, we continue with the uh, God's Plan for the World series on the book of Luke after taking a break for the Christmas and New Year celebrations. We'll continue our study for another next 10 weeks and we hope you'll follow along with us as we dig into the Lord's Word. Today we'll be looking, we've just read uh, Luke chapter 11 verses 27 to 36 and the message today is, what shall we do with Jesus? What shall we do with this person called Jesus? Now before we begin, let us bow our heads in prayer in preparation of the Holy Spirit revealing the words in our hearts so that we may have a year to hear and to listen to what the Lord is about to bring us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity and the blessing to be in your house to be able to pray to you, to come to you directly. We pray, dear Lord, that you help us to prepare our hearts to listen to your word and to be inspired, to be challenged, and to be trained by it. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be wholly acceptable to you today. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. What shall we do with Jesus? Indeed, there are really three responses one can give when confronted with our Lord Jesus, isn't it? You can hate him, you can be indifferent to him, or you can love him. But there are only two likely outcomes with these three responses. One is eternity of damnation. The other, an eternity of salvation and reconciliation. No matter what conclusions we come up with, there will only ever be two outcomes when we are confronted with Jesus. That is probably why people are so confrontational when it comes to Jesus, isn't it? For some, those who proclaim Jesus are preachers of hate. This is what some of the atheists and the, the non-believers think. People do not like to be told that they are going to hell. People do not like to be told that they are sinners. People want to do what they want. And Jesus is stopping them from doing whatever they wish. Like spoiled kids, when you say no, they throw a tantrum, they yell and they scream, cry even, and they rebel. The more you say no, the bigger the tantrum. Even when it is for their own good, they rebel. They say we hate them, and that they are restricting their freedom. They turn their backs on the truth and meet their own truths because they think they know better than a holy and righteous God. Then there are those who encounter Jesus, and they realize their brokenness. The encounter of Jesus brings them to their knees in repentance and humbleness, knowing that they are helpless to help 
themselves, and they need a divine God for their salvation. They realize that they have messed up, and they need Jesus to help them through their circumstance. And last but not least, there are the people who just come along for the show. They hear that a circus is in town, they, and that there are unusual and incredible acts, and they rush to get the front row seat for the action. They ooh, and they ah, and all the spectacular feats. They talk about it outside amongst themselves and what they saw, but did anything change in their lives? Probably not. They were entertained, but there was no transformation. Soon, all that they saw is forgotten. The passage we read today comes immediately, immediately after a miraculous feat of Jesus casting out a demon from a demon-possessed man. With this encounter, people could only have one of the three responses I mentioned earlier. Some will doubt and even accuse Jesus to be in cahoots with Bezerbo, the prince of demons. Because to acknowledge the opposite would mean that they have to accept that Jesus has the power even over demons, which in a way means he is God. And if so, they then need to worship him and repent from their ways because that's what Jesus taught. Others will be there with their mobile phones, cameras on the ready to catch the action. What's he going to do next? This is so that they can post it on their social media platforms and media websites or talk among themselves to show others that they were there and he witnessed what had happened. Did he change them? Not in the slightest. They were there purely for the show, for the bragging rights of being there when it happened. Do you know people who are like that? I'm sure we all do. Sometimes it might even be us, isn't it? Ask yourself, do you come to church to be transformed and live a transformed life? Or are you here for the show? To be able to say we were in church when it happened, we heard it from the preacher's mouth. But when we walk out the doors and into our week, we forget everything that the scripture has taught us. We go back to our own ways. Friends, even though we call ourselves believers of Christ, we can so easily, so easily fall into the trap of becoming like the people who came for the show. Nothing inspires them. Nothing causes them to be transformed. Nothing causes us to repent. Friends, let's be careful not to become like the one for the ride. So coming back to the passage, what shall we do with Jesus? We read in verse 27 that a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Friends, and blessed indeed we are. What's your attitude towards Jesus today? What's your attitude towards Jesus today? Do we just 
cry out like this woman in the crowd, calling, Jesus, blessed. But not understand or obey the words that Jesus just commanded. Ask yourself, why are you in church today? Are you here to just sing his praise or to seek for signs? Friends, don't just come to just sing praises to Jesus by calling him blessed and holy. Obey him. Don't just seek for signs from him, but believe in him. Whilst we understand what the woman meant by her praise of Jesus' mother, it's not her that we ought to be worshipping, isn't it? Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 to 50 writes, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Friends, Jesus does not have a problem with praise. As a matter of fact, we all are wired to praise. For example, when we see great things like this phenomenal uh, waterfall in Niagara. I think it's Niagara. <laughs> we see it, we, we praise it because we are in such awe of it, isn't it? What a beautiful sight. What magnificence. We desire praise. That is why people go on shows like Australia's Got Talent and we like watching them, isn't it? Or they post, or they post their feats and achievements on social media platforms so that they keep that people can keep praises and are at awe at what they have done or achieved. Friends, the truth is we love to praise and love to be praised. Now C.S. Lewis writes this about praise. But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their re favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise the weather, wines, dishes, actors, mo uh, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical uh, uh, history stuff, children, flowers, mountains, rare stems, uh, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars, even. I think we delight to praise when we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes our enjoyment. It is a pointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. In praise. What C.S. Lewis is saying is what we praise not solely as a compliment but as an outflowing, outworking of our inner delight and appreciation of what we're seeing. 
That is why we sing praises in church. That is why every service is a segment of praise and worship. I know some people feel that because they're not good singers, they, they come to church late so they can skip the praise and worship segment, or they think to themselves, praise and worship is of less importance because it's just singing, right? No. Friends, it does bring into question why we do not appear to have an outpouring or outflowing desire to be there on time, to praise God and to appreciate our holy God, isn't it? It shows a heart problem, isn't it, with all of us? It's not a guilt trip. Let me be clear, because I know sometimes even I have the problem. But the bottom line is this. God does not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fats of rams. God does not desire us to just sing praises. God desires us to obey Jesus. Coming back to verse 29, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for signs, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. Friends, I'm sure at some point of your faith journey, you've asked God for signs to prove that He is real. I know I have. Even His disciples asked for a sign. We all know that the disciple was Thomas, who walked with Jesus, spoke with Jesus, was taught by Jesus himself, yet, yet he doubted Jesus' words. In John 20 verse 25, writes, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and, the place, and place my fingers into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's what Thomas said. Friends, is that us sometimes? Is that us? But blessed indeed we are, because Jesus in his love and compassion for us says to us, Come, put your hand here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We are an evil generation. Because despite Jesus showing us numerous signs, we dismiss them as coincidence. Now, how many coincidences could there be? How many coincidences can there be? It's statistically impossible. Just one miracle in itself is statistically impossible. Yet, yet we continue to test Him. And keep seeking signs after sign from heaven. Friends, what more does Jesus have to do to prove to us that he is from God and that he is God? Jesus points out to a, to a prophet, to Jonah, a prophet who was sent to call out against Nineveh for their evil. 
Now Nineveh was exceedingly a great city, three days' journey in breadth, we are told. But so evil were they that their evil was, has come up before God. But what happened to the Ninevites when they encountered the prophet of God? The people of Nineveh believed. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. From the greatest of them to the least of them. Even the king, who was probably the most evil of the lot that allowed all that happened, made a decree to turn from their evil way and from their violence that is, that is in his hands. Just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation, according to verse 30. Jesus has been sent to us to call out the evil of our generation. And you do not need me to tell you how depraved as a generation we have become. Just take a look around you. You'll see what I'm talking about. Those who listen to Jesus will be saved just as the Ninevites were. But those who rebel will eventually face the consequences of their sin. Yet, yet, are we in sackcloth and fasting? I don't think so. Friends, we need Jesus now more than ever. As John Owen, an English theologian, says, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. How true is that statement? Friends, remember from the start, I mentioned also why some people don't like Christians. This is because if we are right, they will meet judgment for their rebellion, just as the evil generation will. Now the message version of Luke chapter 11, 31 to 32, writes it like this. On Judgment Day, the Ninevites will stand up and give evidence they will condemn this generation because when Jonah preached to them, they changed their lives. A far greater preacher than Jonah is here. And you squabble about proof? On Judgment Day, the Queen of Sheba will come forward and bring evidence that condemns this generation because she traveled from a far corner of the earth to listen to why Solomon, wisdom far greater than Solomon, is right in front of you. And you are squabble about evidence? Therefore, therefore, there will be no more signs because the people do not desire proof. All they want is for their evil desires to be justified. They want to be king unto themselves and not answerable to anyone but themselves. They see what they want to see. They say what they want to say. They do whatever pleases them. Everybody should be able to do whatever they wish that is their cry. However, if we let people do whatever they wish, does that mean we love them? If you see people heading for destruction, do you not stop them? If you love someone, would you want to see him get hurt, him or her get hurt? No. 
God loves us. That is why He pursues us, even in our transgressions. He would not be called a God of love if He stood by and did nothing when He saw us heading towards a ravine. Instead, He places a wooden cross to be a bridge to bring us back to safety. But because He loves us, He also does not force us to cross that bridge, but continually encourages us to make the right decision through His people and through His Word. Luke chapter 11, verse 34 writes, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. What do we do with Jesus speaks a lot about how our bodies will become. Do not let your body be filled with darkness, but instead fill it with light by having no part of it dark. Friends, behold, something is greater than Solomon is here. And behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. If you are not a believer of Jesus, can I introduce you to the one whom we call God and Savior? Because of Jesus, we are in Him. He became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He was there from the beginning. He is the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have, even, we have seen His glory full of grace and truth. He was there at creation, and He will be there on Judgment Day. Friends, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. To bring us to conclusion, Friends, what shall we do with Jesus? What shall we do? You can either hate Him, be indifferent to Him, or you can love Him, be in reverence and awe of Him. We all, all of us, have a choice to make. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, can I encourage you not to leave today before talking to someone about it? We'd like to sincerely pray with you, walk with you, and help you to see who this Jesus we call as our Lord and our Savior. If we do not feel comfortable talking to someone, we have good resources out on the table in the foyer and chapel. We have books like The Essential Jesus, which is free to you. You can read it for yourself about this person, Jesus. Friends, whatever choice we make about Jesus, there will only ultimately be two outcomes. One, we be condemned for eternity and be thrown into the fires of hell. And two, we become coheres with Christ and spend an eternity with God in heaven. Friends, if we are wrong, we only end up in a grave and be eaten by worms and be forgotten. But if we are right, that God is real and Jesus is real, the consequences are eternal. The choice is yours.
and no one can make it for you or force you to make it. For those of us who do know and have accepted Jesus into our lives, great. Let us not become complacent though and be like those who have come for the show. Let us not just be entertained by God on a Sunday and soon after forget why we praise and worship Him during the week. Is it true, it is true, sorry, that God desires our obedience more than our praise. But our praise is also a reflection of our true reverence and awe of our mighty God, isn't it? Friends, 2023 is a new year. And this is the only the second Sunday of the year. Ask God today what we should do with Jesus. What should we do with Jesus? How will we lead or live a life of obedience in the Lord for 2023? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word and scripture. Thank you for the sign of Jonah as a stark reminder that indeed we are so blessed indeed with such an evil generation. Help us to repent as the people of the Ninevites did. Repent of our sinful ways to turn our hearts to you in obedience. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for not having a reverent awe of your holiness and your might. Forgive us, Lord, for not putting you first in our lives. Lord, let us not leave here today without being convicted challenged to become more like you each day. Not just on the Sundays, but each day. Lord, your will be done in 2023 and we look forward to see great works that you're going to do. We pray for every heart and every soul that's in this place today that you bless them, show them your love, stand with those who are hurting, encourage those who are discouraged, and together as a community in Christ, help us, Lord, to build each other up so that we all can be called well done, good and faithful servant. We praise you, God. We give you all honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.